The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Welcome to another episode of Building Elite Sales Teams. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be discussing adapting to change and how to lead teams that perform in the face of a dynamic environment. We're joined today by Tracy Lynn, the founder of Revenue Motions. Tracy is a B2B revenue leader with global sales experience in enterprise software businesses, SaaS startups, and global scale-ups. She excels at building high-performing teams for sustainable growth and knows how to rally teams for go-to-market motions. Tracy helps clients deliver value with enriched buyer experiences and positive revenue outcomes. Tracy, thank you for joining us today. What else should our audience know about you? I grew up overseas, so I spent some time as a kid in places like Iran, London, Cape Town, South Africa, where I finished high school. So I had only travel, and now I'm hailed from Marblehead, Massachusetts. Oh, so yes, yeah. We mentioned that you that you bring a global experience to that, and it sounds like that global experience has gone through your whole life. I took my dad's diplomatic corps background and just parlayed that into some of my corporate work, and so I worked on both coasts for software companies for many years and had a lot of international assignments, bringing European typically companies here to the U.S. or vice versa, or managing Boston. Oh, that's great. To start off here, I have a a relatively broad question and feel free to take it in any direction you like, but sales organizations are always facing changing environments. That's just part of the reality of being in business, I think. For a few years ago, a lot of those changes were things like unlimited demand and how to deal with it and how to build your team fast enough and free money. Now the change has gone the other direction where demand is shrinking for a lot of organizations. Deal sizes are getting smaller deal cycles are getting longer. What are some of the pillars of building a high-performing team in the midst of negative change? If you go to the traditional pillars, which I think are core to a revenue leader's job, you're talking about people, process, and technology. There are components of all of those things to build a successful sales organization and to get performance out of a high-performing team. But there's a reason that people is first. And I think that SaaS companies in particular have been challenged to respond to some of the innovations that are coming along in the people category because pace is very fast. So when you're looking at maybe 80% of the industry with a highly transactional sale, the rate of change is very fast. So what happens is people tend to focus on the mechanics of that and forget about the fact that you're actually running a marathon and you need to think like a marathon. And you need to think about infrastructure and long-term foundational plays, and then build something that's agile enough to adapt to all the changes that come your way. And so it's exciting. Most people don't take the time to do that preparation, but I would suggest that actually the mindset of thinking about being in a long-distance competition 
is very helpful. And so if you approach your work, your new assignments, your changed assignments, your pivots, the programs you build, the people that you hire, if you approach this with a long-term foundational point of view, and today we're going to talk about people specifically, that's a different mindset. And there are some guiding principles, I believe, that make that work. I saw somewhere, and I don't remember the where are the exact numbers, but I saw recently some sort of survey of the SaaS landscape. And it said that very recently there were, there were, I think something like 27,000 SaaS companies. And within a couple of years, it became 47,000 SaaS companies. And so there was a time when there was much less competition. And in SaaS, we have these really big gross margins where I think that we were, the, the SaaS world at large was able to succeed despite some sloppy habits around people because it was the, the extra margin hadn't been competed away. And we have these incredible gross margins where you can make mistakes. And as long as you get to scale, it's okay that you made all those mistakes. It's a much more competitive and much more efficient environment out there. And so I think the importance of getting the people stuff right and not making as many mistakes is becoming more and more important. There's nowhere to hide. You know, this last year has taught us some lessons. And part of that is to slow down and think about it. And so what worked before isn't working, which forces that motion. And I think that the difference, I'll go on record with a prediction, the difference in 2024 is going to be those organizations that actually tackle the people challenge first will do better than those that don't. And the reason for that is, is we now have to layer in and co-manage the implications of AI in our processes, in our technology. And yet I don't think the people side has caught up. So for a lot of people, this is an opportunity to level set and understand where the strengths are with automation, leverage that and build up and bolster your people strategy because it's harder to attract people. It's been a tough year. People haven't been making money. How are you going to build the right flypaper to attract the best candidates? You have to build a system for that. So yeah. I think that takes a different mindset and perhaps some reprioritization. On the people side, some of the th items in the life cycle are recruiting, the selection process during hiring, training, upskilling and promotions. Those are some of the pillars. Are there other pillars that are really important? First of all, congratulations on your podcast. I've listened to a lot of segments and I've listened to oh, a lot of the experts that you've had on and great people with great examples of practical advice, tactical advice, strategy. And I think a lot of that's been covered so far in the sense that what's a balanced hiring scorecard? How do you actually yeah. hire and develop and advance people so that you can keep them from a retention standpoint? How do you do the onboarding program? How do you really granularly get into behavioral interviewing, which you're showcasing through your own solution? Our industry doesn't know that these tools and methods necessarily are there. I would say that we're behind some of the larger organizations in other industries. And I think part of that, again, is this pace, this pace of SAS pressure, and it's frankly, even your board members. So some of the foundational things have been missing. I don't think we can skip over that anymore. And I think this year is the year that's actually going to demonstrate it this coming year. So if I may, what I really like to concentrate it on is this mindset idea. And the, the mindset idea is your pre-planning. I think that there's a ton of great technology, great advice, specific 
methods to actually get to creating a program. But I think the mindset to create the program is important. In people process and technology, people is first for a reason, because you can't do the other two without yeah. having a really strong people strategy. Who's going to do the work? You let the bots do the work? Probably not. So I think the design of the program is really important. From my experience, you need to think about your people strategy as a go-to-market strategy. It is a go-to-market strategy. How are you going to get your solution to market? You're going to get it through a team, and you need to think about deploying that as a go-to-market strategy. If you do that, you'll treat a program for recruiting, hiring, onboarding, and later developing and advancing your people differently. Go-to-market has an elevated position within an organization. You have a communication plan. You have some very specific measurable objectives. Usually everybody in the company knows some aspect, the high-level objectives of a go-to-market plan and project. They probably have participation in components of it. It's probably communicated to your external stakeholders. Certainly your board knows about it. I believe that recruiting a high-performing team has to elevate to that level. One of the things I'm thinking about, it, when people say team, my mind partly goes to sports teams. And on sports teams, you want high-performing individuals, but you also have people that play different positions. So within a sales team, do you think about, oh yeah, we have this seller and that seller. We are looking for people who have different skill sets within individual sellers. Obviously, there are different positions within a sales organization in terms of enablement and ops and management and stuff like that. But do you look for different roles with sellers as well? Absolutely. And I think that the structure of a go-to-market motion is not any different than creating a great recruitment program to build your sales team. So just as you have an ideal customer profile and personas, you have ideal sales personas. This year, I think you need to think about your sales personas and defining them differently. There's an excellent article in HVR, the December edition, where the CEO of LinkedIn, his name is Ryan Ruslansky, and I was not familiar with his written work before, but he suggests that you need to think about developing your job descriptions much the way you do, Lucas, which is around skills and knowledge, not titles at all. And so the way to be compatible, for example, with incoming AI technologies that we want to use and test and perhaps bring in for automated parts of our programs is to distinctly think about jobs positions differently. So ideal sales profiles for specific roles, that should be part of the program. These should be the definitions by which you not only recruit for, you train the recruiting team to recruit by, and you train the interviewing team in panel interviews and other methods to use this as part of your guiding principles. So the structure of your program has to have these elements. And you can't necessarily take a sales hiring program from your last company and bring it to your new. You really need to design something that's unique to your particular organization and current state, whatever current state is, size, maturity level, number of roles, complexity of the solution, all those things. So it's a pretty big task, but if you do the heavy lifting up front, it's pretty smooth sailing if you get this in place. It's worth the effort because the time and time and expense and waste that goes into the recruiting and hiring function in sales, plus the performance management to keep folks or move them on or move them somewhere else in the business. When I was a 
first-time manager, I saw all this waste and I was struck by the waste of time. This really was. And the cost. And I said, I'm not going to be that person. And so I made people a priority because if you do the work up front and you build a system that's right for your organization, all the work is alleviated because it runs pretty smoothly. And you don't need to overcomplicate this. There are certain traits that I would say sales leaders almost universally look for when they're hiring salespeople. And they, they might have different names for the traits, but they want people who are resourceful. They have resilience. Usually they're looking for people who are coachable. What are some of the traits that you would call like more conditional? There's two components that you haven't suggested that I think are very important. Now, granted, my audiences are typically emerging companies, right? Smaller stage companies up to midsize. But I would say creativity and the ability to adjust to change without batting an eye. Fixed mindset, rigid process people really struggle with this in our industry. Yeah. You need creativity to problem solve differently. Your path is blocked. Nobody's answering your calls, responding to your outreach. So you need the creativity to work through that with your colleagues, yourself, and so on, which means you have an open mind about there are other avenues. I need to understand that and explore that and get help with that. But also this lasting ability to change forever, this adaptability. And I think you can test for that on a very first interview. We call it adaptability and yardstick. There are different names for it. We call it adaptability. I think that adaptability is like really important. And like you said, an emerging company, maybe like high mid, if you're doing high mid market or enterprise sales, where every deal is a little bit different, you have to be pretty adaptable to navigate your way through. Whereas if you're established kind of transactional playbook and you want people to come in and run the, pl the playbook on a transactional motion over and over again, adaptability might not be as important. Is that a good like example of like where you would elevate it and where you wouldn't elevate it? I, I don't think there is a sales cycle in an industry around that isn't changing anymore. And I think the rate of change is accelerating because as the rate of change accelerates, this is just something we have to manage through and we have to anticipate this. And if you've got a more rigid team that's responding rigidly, that's, that's not going to help you. It's not going to be helpful. The thing about adaptability is you can retrain, reposition, repoint the organization to an adjusted mission or a complete pivot. You can't do that if you're missing that ingredient. So Tracy, what if I was your client and I came to you and I said, hey, look, Tracy, I've taken your advice about we really need to think about the traits. And I came and, and here's 20 traits that we really need in all of our salespeople or 50 traits that we really need in all of our salespeople. How would you help me think about getting down to a manageable level. Just like any sales situation, you do a discovery process. So for each organization, each type of solution that's being sold, there are attributes that make great sellers. I would study the top performers that are doing well in that environment. And I would certainly study the outliers and the people that are failing. And you can come up with some semblance of an ideal sales profile using tools or manually. It really doesn't matter. You can get to a common understanding of what great looks like. And from that, you can start to build your program around, okay, this particular role, this is what good looks like. And then we're going to have to test and validate over some period of time. The communication skills in a program like this are huge. You have to have a tight, well-orchestrated team that's talking to each other. If the, your recruiting arm is often left field, 
and not working to the same goals that you are, it's a problem. This much the way a go-to-market motion might work. You might be having daily stand-ups. You might be really managing this tightly. The definition of this often is also outsourced to sales recruiters, for example. I think that's a mistake. I think the design it and own it, buying the revenue leader, it doesn't mean the program can't be delegated to be run, but the initial pilot and how it's structured and what's expected by everyone is critically important and that ownership matters. If the revenue leader doesn't own it, why would you expect your C-suite or your board or anybody else to care? As a revenue leader, the, that program is going to be perhaps, if, if not the largest, definitely one of the largest impacts on your career trajectory. But not only that, it's go also going to be one of the largest impacts on the career trajectory of everyone on your team. Because those strong individuals on your team need other strong individuals to propel their performance and propel their careers as well. And so I think it's making sure that as a revenue leader, making sure that you understand it, that you approve of it, that you have looked at it in a detailed way and say, how can we make it better is incredibly important. And let's go one step further. This should go right into your RevOps dashboard as a people line and a series of metrics that you're sharing with the organization in company ops reviews so that people get used to seeing the data. Sales is a team sport. Hiring is even more a team sport. You don't have a mentor very early on told me, hey, I don't see any cash registers around here. This was a very long time ago, but the expression still holds. It has to do with the lights stay on because we're producing. We produce with the team. If you're going to build a team, build the best team and get all the dividends associated with that. So pay attention to the program and you can control the quality of it and you'll learn. The whole organization will learn and you can brand that. You can brand that internally so that everyone knows when there's a performance problem to single in on an individual, but to try to assist and find out what went wrong in terms of, did we build the right profile? Has our market changed? Has our competitive situation changed? You Very hard sometimes to erase the people challenges and your actual go-to-market motion. So yeah. it, it could be changes in the market, which look like non-performance, and there could be individual performance problems that have nothing to do with going to market. So when you start to track this stuff and you invite your RevOps team in to start to report on this stuff, you can start to see and correlate what's going on. When you think about refining a people process, getting the right pieces in place, the hiring pieces and the other pieces, and you're going and, and trying to implement that in an organization that you're working with. What are the things that are, you're looking for to make sure that it is done effectively? You have to have a few guiding principles that everyone in the organization understands in the design of the program. First one, really obvious, fairness. So fairness is how you keep bad things like bias out and so on. Fairness to the candidate. So what does that mean? That means, are you fairly representing what the opportunity is? And are you actually trying to attract the best and brightest? And have you done the definition work so that you can refine that engagement through interview process and so on? I think the other thing is mission. The sales hiring program has to be tied not just to the sales mission, but to the, it has to plug and play into the corporate mission. So if that's not, if it's disconnected and siloed, that's a problem. If you don't have 
and you, you don't see this in very small startups where there's a lot of unification around maybe evangelical selling, mission-based selling, because there's a small team. Harder as you get larger and you have multiple teams, you have 10 teams, very hard to keep that going. But if in the beginning by design, you tie the bigger mission and individual salespeople understand that and were recruited with that and saw a vision for that, and that's why they wanted to join, that's a big difference. That's how you, that's how you really work on retention from day one. Yeah. I think the last one, I think everybody would agree, you want to hire good citizens that fit your culture. Whatever that is, however you've defined that, and you want to get to that answer, this is a little controversial on the first interview. I have a rule which gets broken from time to time, which is just like a discovery call. You want to get to a go, no go on pursuing this further or not on the first interview. So what are the things that you're doing on the first interview to help you get there? You're deciding if you're going to advance this candidate or not. Is it worthy of further exploration? Does that come from kind of standard screening interview processes or are there certain questions that you find that are helpful for doing that? I don't think it matters how you get there. You have to have a process to get there and anything else beyond, unless there's some extenuating circumstance, you're justifying a maybe. We all yeah. do it. It's human nature. This person could fit you, and there's so much research that suggests that basically in the first five minutes. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we've probably all been in that situation where we're like, I don't think this is the person. They seem like good enough to be a finalist, so I'll pass them through. And I think that you're saying, no, we shouldn't be passing those people through. We should be continuing to look, right? So how do you keep that pipeline alive and full and rich while you're saying no? That goes to branding. So branding internally so that everyone in the company understands where these candidates are coming from and understands as they join what's expected of them, what good looks like, and they help you through their network, through their friends, through their colleagues, but also your external branding. Tell your customers, we're growing, help us find people. At first, nothing will come out of that, but a lot of goodwill comes out of that. And what happens is like a rumor, it starts. This company's growing and they're always looking for great people and they have great people. And in time, it becomes truth. And you may be screening some people that aren't so great as a courtesy because your biggest customer shut them over. It's fine. Keep going. In the long run, it works out. You become known as a culture that cares and that is looking for quality candidates. And that tends to perpetuate the rule and it becomes the truth over time. As you think about enacting this people program, what are the other things that you would watch out for that are potential mistakes that, that get made frequently? As you build your interviewing teams, if you're doing balanced hiring scorecards and the like, some mechanism to measure input from multiple people, maybe from cross-functional groups, product, marketing, other areas, other executives. You use a balanced hiring scorecard to try and even that out so you get multiple perspectives. But the final decision, not everybody has a, an equal vote. Yeah. It's very important. This is an expert role, just the way a developer would be an expert role or any other professional. Sales has often not traditionally been thought that way, and it needs to be thought that way. It's become a very technical role in time. And we need to elevate the sales profession and defend the expertise required to be really good at it and sometimes call the shots on it. The whole team may love candidate B and you're going with candidate A. Just make sure you have a reason for that. Yeah, that makes sense. Tracy, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today. One of my takeaways 
is to really think about when you're hiring, think about the sales team as a team and think about what does this team need that it doesn't have right now and not just looking at every open role as an individual, but putting it in the context of the rest of the team and what could be added to the team to help elevate the whole team. So I appreciate having you on. And that, I think that's a, there were lots of great takeaways, but that's one in particular that's going to stick with me for sure. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.